It is the first Sunday of 2018. I can tell by your wee faces you're all incredibly excited. Uh, you're full of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed goodness so far. It's a new year, new you, and I wanted to come tonight and, and bring something fresh and exciting to the table as well for you. So what have I done? Uh, I got this tie uh, and pocket square set reduced in the next outlet at Junction 1 for one whole pound. Eleven pound, that would have cost you. You wouldn't have paid it. But one whole pound, and I've got a whole range of sort of calf kids in Laura Ashley kind of ties uh, for your viewing pleasure over the next lot of weeks. And I've always wanted to be one of those preachers that gets so excited that at some point in the sermon takes out his pocket square and mops his head because he's all fired up. Maybe not, we'll see. Uh, but there we go. I'll check I haven't blew my nose in that before I wipe it over my face. But look, folks, if you're coming all excited about my tie, then soon the novelty of that is going to wear off. Uh, if you're all excited in the first Sunday of the year about how you're going to transform your life this year, well, soon the novelty of that is going to wear off. Your hopes and dreams and aspirations, you're going to read the New Testament in eight weeks or 16 weeks. It might turn out that you'll read it in about 79 weeks or something like that. That is what we are like. And so tonight, although we have a new series and a new tie and and for the first time, a wee pocket square. I don't pretend tonight is going to be shiny and bright and fancy and new and, and terribly exciting. In fact, the opposite is true. Familiar Woodburn, up in a familiar pulpit, a familiar table, familiar seats, familiar people. I'm looking out tonight and I know all your wee faces. Some of you are aging well, some of you, hoo, 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 not so much. Avon couldn't help those faces of yours. But that's where we are tonight. Once again, brand new year, but most things kind of stay the same. Folks, I hope tonight you're not going to despair at that. Uh, it is uh, the nature of the beast, the nature of who we are and, and what we are as human beings. But this evening as we uh, begin this new series, I want us perhaps not to despair in the lack of bright, shiny new things, but to rejoice in the old and familiar and solid things of God. We come tonight to do things that we have done for generations in this place, that you have done since you were knee-high to a grasshopper, when you were just a wee boy or a wee girl all those years ago. We come to worship the Lord. We have sung. We have prayed. We have brought offering. We have sat under his word. It is now being preached. Shortly we will come to the table. There is nothing new here. And really the only thing bright and shiny are our lovely plates. But tonight I pray that you will rejoice in the familiar and you will find comfort and encouragement in the things of God that he has given us and that the church of Jesus Christ have used for generations. That's, it might seem strange there that, that that's where we begin in this series on the life of David. And, and David is not in this passage, it's all about Samuel, but I wanted us to start here because it is important to note that before the man after God's own heart, before the first king, a man called Saul, there was this man called Samuel who was the last of the judges. If you know the story of the judges, well, it's like a roller coaster. You're up and you're, you're down. Mostly you're down, but you're up a wee bit and you're down again. The people did what they wanted and what they thought was right in their own eyes. There were no kings in those days, and so eventually when the people realized that they needed God, they would cry out to him and the Lord would send a judge. You will know some of their names, the famous guy Gideon and, and Samson and others like them throughout the book of Judges. The very last judge before the history of the church moves in another direction 
is this man, Samuel. And by this stage in Samuel's life, uh, he is old, he is gray, his family is a bit of a disappointment. You will find that out if you read on into chapter 8. Uh, Samuel's sons, Joel and Abijah, are made judges in Beersheba. They're a dead loss. They take bribes and pervert justice. And so all the elders of Israel gather before Samuel and they say to him something very encouraging, something every one of us would love to hear. Behold, Samuel, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Can you imagine somebody coming to tell you that? Behold, you are an owl lad and your sons are clumpets. Basically, that's what they come to tell Samuel. Things are not wonderful and bright and shiny at this point in Samuel's life, the last of the judges. By this stage in the history of Israel, things are not good either. Uh, they are men and women who have turned away from God. Uh, if you know the story, as I'm sure many of you do, many Sunday school lessons have been taught about Samuel and David and Jonathan and all the figures of these wonderful books. Well, by this stage, the Israelites had gone out to battle the Philistines. They carried the Ark of the Covenant out with them. They thought that this was a sure sign that they would win and be victorious. But the Lord gives the Philistines the victory. They take the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Eli, the high priest, his sons are killed, Phinehas and Hophni. Eli falls off the chair and breaks his neck. And I love the verse which says, because he was quite fat. That's a warning to gentle men like myself. Eli's dead, the sons are dead, and Eli's grandson is called Ichabod, for the glory has departed from Israel. And so the Philistines, they only keep the Ark for about seven months. The Lord judges them and punishes them through that. So they give up the ark, they give it back to Israel, but they don't put their boot off the neck of the Israelites. Israel is a second-class nation at this point. The Philistines are the big dogs, completely in charge, and the people have turned away from God. And in that comes 1 Samuel chapter 7. And Samuel, in verse 3, says to the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. You see, by this stage, the Israelites had begun to lament the situation they found themselves in. It was the story of the judges all over again. They had turned from the Lord, but there comes a point that they realize it shouldn't be this way. Verse 2 in chapter 7 says, some, After some 20 years, all the house of Israel lament after the Lord. And what is the bright, shiny work that they do? Well, it's the work of repentance. They come to Samuel. They come to the last judge. They, they come and they cry out and say, Samuel, we, we want things to be different. Samuel, we, we want to be right with the Lord again. How can this be? And Samuel says, here is the cost of repentance. If you wish to repent, if you wish to walk that old familiar road once again, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord. Friends, I haven't made many resolutions this year. I used to go into all that. I, rather, I'm getting old and cynical and fed up, I don't know, but I haven't really done that this year, but isn't that a, a challenge to us in these opening days of 2019? Samuel says, tread that familiar road of repentance. And if you wish to repent, then change your way. Put away the Asheroth 
Put away the vows. Put away these false gods that you are worshipping and direct your heart to the Lord only. And this might seem like a simple thing to do, but by this stage in the history of the people of God, everything they were doing was entwined with the vows and the Asherah. You can understand why. Uh, entwined with worship of Baal and these false gods was, was sexual immorality. You would go to worship and it was basically combined with a brothel. So you would go and, and worship Baal and his wife, the Asheroth, uh, and you would sleep around with a temple prostitute. And you, you could label this as, as something you were doing to worship your God who was then going to give you good crops. And Israel and the people of God were up to their eyes in this. So Samuel says, you, you are returning to the Lord. You are lamenting the fact that you have gone against him and you have been humiliated by the Philistines and you have been under their boot for 20 years. If this is the path that you are going to take, then you must repent. And repentance is not just with your mouths, it is with your lives. I remember one night saying, uh, or being in a, a Presbytery commission, and we were in a, a room in a church somewhere in down Presbury, the names have been changed to protect the innocent, as something once upon a time used to say, but we were sitting there and there was a lot of hullabaloo going on, a lot of debate and arguing and fighting, and, uh, and this elder said that she was very, very sorry for what had happened, but she wasn't going to stop doing what she was doing. And David Hyman, my colleague from Spa, Mac Muhammad, said, well, well, that's a nonsense. And if you know David, for him to say the word nonsense even is, is hardcore. He was a very gentle sort of guy and I'd never seen him all worked up. From what I gather, he hadn't been worked up since about 1973. But that night he got all worked up. He said, that's a nonsense. You're sorry for what you've done, but you're going to keep doing it. It's not repentance. And this woman then burst into tears. <laughs> and David lost the argument, as we all usually do, gentlemen. Isn't that right? Even when we're right, once to start crying, we're wrong. That's just the way of it. But David hit the nail on the head that night. And Solomon, Solomon, Samuel says here the exact same thing. If you're coming to tread this familiar path, then put away the false God. If you're coming to repent, then destroy the Asherah. Direct your heart only to the Lord. Serve him only, and he will deliver you. And so what happens? Revival breaks out. Verse 4, we're told that the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asheroth, and they served the Lord only. My friends, this is extraordinary. There's nothing brand new going on here. If you read the story of the judges, there have been times of national repentance Again and again and again, the people lament and return unto the Lord, but revival breaks out. Twenty years of being under the boot of the Philistines, and revival breaks out. The people say, this is what we will do. We will put away the Asheroth and the Baals, and we will serve the Lord alone. We repent. And what is repentance? Repentance unto life, says our catechism, is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Our catechism, catechism is right 
what is repentance, we know our sin. It grieves us. It causes us to, to lose sleep, to be men and women who, who know the weight of our sin upon us. But repentance also knows that our God is merciful, and we run to him in Christ. With grief and hatred of our sin, we, we turn from it. Repentance isn't, oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Repentance knows our sin, turns from it, runs from it, and endeavors after new obedience. Here is repentance, not words only, but repentance unto life, which is the day-to-day work of the Christian and the church. I've told you this before, but uh, I know my friend up in Palomino, Marty McNeely, he would say that his African brothers will say to him, my brother, have you repented today? My brother, have you repented today? They say it all the time. My brother, have you repented today? And in a church in this town, and again, the names have been changed to protect the innocent, but I was driving past it one day recently, and it says up on the big screen, repentance, the word you don't hear of anymore. I thought, really? Is that where the church has got to, that, that you don't hear about repentance? My friends, it is an old word. It is a word that perhaps, maybe, we don't think about enough. It is an old path. But as we begin this brand new year, and as we look at the life of David and consider where Christ is in these pages, national revival breaks out and the people come to this last judge Samuel and cry out in repentance. I don't know what your repentance is like in your life. I don't know if it's something that you do uh, on a day-to-day basis or not, but certainly I know and I can only ever speak for myself and I am not beating you with a big stick because truly if there is a chief of sinners, it is I. But repentance is the work of the Christian this year. Repentance is something that we as a church and, and we as individuals need to be much about in this brand new year. Repentance on the light. Every day knowing our sin and every day knowing the mercy of God. Repentance. The church, the people of God, Israel, come to Samuel, the last judge, and they cry out. And revival breaks out. They put away the false gods And Samuel says to them in verse 5, Gather all of Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gather, and as a a sign of their repentance, they they draw water, and they pour it out before the Lord in verse 6. And they fast on that day, and they said there, We have sinned against the Lord. So Samuel judges the people of Israel at Mizpah. He ministers to them and speaks to them and challenges them as they repent. But, a test of their repentance comes almost immediately. Because the Philistines, who were a, a seafaring people down on the coast is where they lived. Uh, and I read this week they were from the Aegean, so they were probably uh, early Greeks, if you like. And later in history, the Greeks were a, a powerful race. They colonized loads of the Mediterranean, and they had a great empire themselves. So here are these Philistines, the arch enemy of the people of God. And what happens? They hear in verse 7 that the, the Israelites had gathered in Mizpah, and the lords of the Philistines decide, now's the time that we go get these guys. We're going to make hay while the sun shines. We're going to go up to this place. We're going to get them. We're going to wipe them out. They're all in that one spot. And when the people of Israel heard that the Philistines were coming, at the end of verse 7, we're told that they were afraid. As you would be, my friends, wouldn't you? 
And today we do not fight the Philistines. There's nobody in Ballon Hinch that I think bears that title. Nobody in Ballon Hinch that tonight we're thinking, are, are they coming? Are, are, are the Methodists coming up the, the street here? Should we lock the doors? There's nobody like that. But our wrestling today in this day and age is, is not against rulers and earthly powers, says Paul. It is against the things unseen, the rulers and the powers of the invisible world, the principality, Satan himself. And at times we can shirk from that battle. And at times we can, uh, rather, we would like a, a quiet life rather than rocking the boat too much. But we can be assured that when we are men and women of repentance and men and women who love the Lord and seek him out on a daily basis in 2018, that the enemy will come against us. And and when the enemy comes, often you and I, tender-hearted saints as we are, will shrink and we will be afraid. I don't think any of us wants to rock any boat. I don't think there's any of us that deliberately wants to start a riot. And yet sometimes it must come for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. But thankfully, revival had broken out. The people had repented. And in verse 8, they say to Samuel then, Not, what have you done? The Philistines are coming and and we should have just trusted the Asheroth and Baal. They they don't come with that uh, solid, rock-hard heart. Revival is broken out. And they come to Samuel and they say in verse 8, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And isn't that a glorious sign of these individuals and their repentant hearts? They say to the last judge, Samuel, pray for us, Samuel. Intercede for us, Samuel. Bring us before the Lord, Samuel. The enemy is great. He is marching against us. He seeks to destroy us. Pray for us, Samuel. Like you, my brothers and sisters, May this be a year where we know our intercessor. You see here, we see Samuel interceding for the people of God. But today, the greater Samuel has come. Christ is the intercessor for his bride, the church. Today, tonight, this very hour, he intercedes for you. And isn't it a joy to know that as we walk this life of Christian faith in this year as we repent on a daily basis, as we know the attacks of the enemy and the lies that he spreads and the division he sows, that we no longer need to come before a Samuel, but we know that Christ intercedes for us. Isn't that amazing? And the Puritans used to debate, was was Christ's intercession with words? Or was Christ's intercession merely by the fact that tonight he stands in heaven. Flesh and blood is at the right hand of the Father, and his wounds are visible. Friends, whether Christ intercedes for us with words, or whether his mere presence is enough, Christ is for you. And please know that. Repentance, and and that day-to-day living before the Lord, and with a repentant heart and spirit, understands that the one who trusts in Christ will not be put to shame. It understands that Jesus is the interceder for his bride, the church. And friends, this year, whether you feel like you walk this life alone, or whether you think you have all the buddies in the world, by faith, Christ stands for you. The people cry out, pray for us, Samuel. And so what does he do? He He takes a nursing lamb and 
verse 9, and he offers it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered, A great revival has broken out, and a great victory is won, because that day the Lord thunders with a mighty hand against the Philistines in verse 10. He throws them into confusion, and they are defeated before Israel. And this is the first defeat in 20 years. The first defeat of the Philistines that, that this generation has seen. And imagine if you are just so used to losing that suddenly there comes victory. Imagine you are so used to, to being on the back foot and suddenly there is victory. Suddenly there is answer. Suddenly there is a breakthrough. Well, this is what happens that day. These men and women return onto the Lord. With repentant hearts they come and their interceder Samuel stands for them and prays for them and a little lamb is sacrificed and blood is shed. Do not miss that imagery and that symbolism. Old paths. Friends, this table is not a New Testament thing. This is symbolic of the church of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that blood must be shed for the remission of sins. And just as Samuel takes this little nursing lamb, so soon we will come to the table of the Lamb of God. The church worships in the old and familiar way. They are maybe familiar, but truly they are glorious. For the Philistines are defeated. And that day, everything changes. For the first time in a long time, things return to what they should be. The Philistines are on the back foot. The people are looking unto God. And as a visible reminder of this glorious day, in verse 12, Samuel takes a stone and sets it up between Mizpah and Shem, and he calls its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. Again, I will change the names to protect the innocent. But if you're ever in our prayer time on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, there is one individual who prays most weeks, and most weeks he prays, Hitherto the Lord has helped us. That's how the authorized version puts this verse in verse 12. Hitherto the Lord has helped us. I know that most weeks that will be said, but I can assure you I never tire of hearing it. You're about to come to preach. You're about to come and meet people. Some of them you know think you're a clampet and you have to walk through those relationships. Some of them you rejoice in saying maybe you'll hear news that you didn't want to hear. Maybe there's something you know is, uh, is going to have to be dealt with and and so how do we start our day on Sunday in that we room at 10 o'clock in prayer and somebody will always say, hitherto the Lord has helped us. Someone will always say, Ebenezer, the Lord is our strength. The Lord is the one who has, who has come and helped us and ministered to us. Someone will remind us that the Lord is faithful. And friends, tonight we come and here is our Ebenezer start of this brand new year, here is a very visible reminder of this ancient, familiar truth. Here is our Ebenezer. Here is our reminder of the rock that is Christ. Here is our reminder of what he has done for us. Here is our reminder that he is for us. Here is our reminder that, that there have been days of revival in the past, and, and there will be again. Here is our reminder that the gospel has not lost any power. 
here is our reminder tonight that there are sins that can be forgiven tonight if we will but repent. And that is a word to, to Christians who are heavily burdened by sin and who think, what can I do with the sin in my life? My brothers and sisters, you can repent of your sin. And here is a reminder tonight to those of you outside of Christ that he welcomes sinners. He welcomes sinners. He welcomes adulterers and he, he welcomes those who have stolen money and he welcomes former terrorists and he welcomes the the prostitute and those who have aborted children. He welcomes sinners. Even the respectable sins like gossipers and slanderers and foul hints, he welcomes them. Here is our Ebenezer. Here is our visible reminder tonight that the little lamb has been sacrificed for us, that the lamb intercedes for us, that the lamb welcomes us if we will but repent. Folks, I knew tonight that it would be wrong to jump in and start with David when, when the story doesn't start there. It starts with this grand prophet, this judge, this man who had his own difficulty. Imagine someone came to you and told you that your, your children were really not up to much. Wouldn't that be such a disappointment? Wouldn't it break your heart? But Samuel goes through. He, he knows his family have not walked in the ways of the Lord. He is not a perfect man. Of course he isn't. But he is the man that the Lord uses when God's people come with true repentance on their hearts. And before there is a King David or a King Saul, there is a judge called Samuel, a figure of the Christ who was still to come. And that day at Mizpah, great victory is won and a revival breaks out and it begins when the people of God lament after the Lord. Friends, I don't know what your situation is tonight. Well, 2019 is exciting because this year you're going on a cruise. You're going to renew your vows. You're maybe right now pregnant. You're 76 but you're pregnant. What a year it's going to be. I don't know what lies ahead. In these next 12 months, I have no clue. But tonight we don't come with razzmatazz and, and shiny, bright new things. We haven't introduced uh, praiseworthy dance tonight. I haven't uh, used the light and started to do shadow puppets on the walls and a new way to put across God's truth. We've done nothing new tonight other than pray and sing and, and eat and drink and preach and sit on to this word. But do you know what? I'm convinced that the old familiar ways that God has given us are still the best ways. So this evening, perhaps, although we long after days of revival at Mizpah, and I pray those days will come. And maybe we're at the end of this chapter where this man Samuel goes on a circuit, verse 16, year by year to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. Here's a missionary journey, if you like, long before the Apostle Paul's on a wee boat somewhere. Here is Samuel going to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And next year he goes to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. That's routine, isn't it? It's not bright and shiny. We would rather have revival at Mizpah than the day-to-day -day routine of Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. Friends, whether these are days of revival or days of routine, 
maybe be men or women of faith and increasing faith. Not like little magpies always seeking after the bright, shiny things that are going to fix stuff. And this is the year, isn't it, where we're sitting up too late and it's half twelve at night and we watch one of those channels with lovely, handsome Americans, usually a man, woman, bright, shiny teeth. They're selling you some gadget. You think, oh, if only I had that gadget. My cooking would be better. I would exercise more. I, I could do more. If only I had that. Where's my master card? It's that time of the year. But you put away your master card. And maybe return to the old, well-trodden, familiar, and dare I say it at times, paths which perhaps bore us. But may God forgive us if we are bored. May God give us a hunger for the old way tried and true ways, repentance, faith, the word, the food of the Lord's table. The final judge, things had not worked out the way he had hoped. But the people of God had returned to God through the everyday ministry of God. So my prayer for myself and for our church is this year, as we see in John 14, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so tonight we look unto God, and we see him in Christ crucified for us. And so, my brothers and sisters, Come with me again on a wee walk down a familiar path where we will see Jesus. We thank God for his word. And we pray indeed that our study in 1 Samuel this year would be pro profitable to the bride.